You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. You don't have to celebrate the holiday to understand that a wide swath of Canada is pretty fertile ground for growing Christmas trees. If you've ever driven through suburban farmland, you've probably seen a Christmas tree farm. Row upon row of perfect little triangular conifers, each spaced out for maximum boughs. And if you do celebrate Christmas and you have purchased one of these trees in recent years, you might get the sense that it's getting harder to grow them so perfectly. The price of Christmas trees is rising quickly because the job of farming them is getting complicated. Not so complicated yet that they are disappearing, but complex enough that farmers are considering their options. Some families are considering just getting a plastic tree. And today, we are considering the industry as a whole. Just what goes in to growing Christmas trees so perfectly? What's changing? What comes next? And what's the difference between a farmed tree and the kind that you just go in the woods and chop down? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is a special holiday episode of The Big Story. Richard Hamlin is a professor at the University of British Columbia, where he heads up the Department of Forest Conservation Sciences. Hello, Richard. Hello. We're going to talk about Christmas trees today uh, because it's close to Christmas and most of us have either visited or driven past a Christmas tree farm. I think we all kind of know the look of them, but maybe you can tell us a bit about like how big a business it is in this country. So it's actually not a small business, but it's not a big business either. So if you compare it to uh, you know, the forest industry, for example, because the trees that we use in Christmas tree farms are often the same trees that we plant out in natural forest for our reforestation program. Uh, and the forest industry is about a $35 billion contribution to the GDP every year. So that's a big business. Mm-hmm. By comparison, the Christmas tree industry brings about $100 million per year. So it's not a small, small business, but it's it, it's dwarf compared to, to, to the forest uh, forest industry. What about raising uh, Christmas trees? Like, I assume that you don't just plant them in the lines there and let them grow. Like, what kind of process goes into creating uh, the trees that we would traditionally buy in big cities uh, from, you know, grocers or other uh, plant dealers? So it's actually kind of a funny business because it's it's sort of a hybrid between forestry and agriculture. So uh, most of the trees, Christmas trees that we buy are grown uh, on plantations or on farms, very similar to an agriculture operation, much more than than a forestry operation. It kind of sounds simple, right? You you go to a Christmas tree farm and you see those trees and think like, oh, you know, it must be easy to do. You just plant some trees in the ground, let them grow. Right. Uh, But it's actually a complex business with lots of challenges and and, and risk because it's kind of a long-term investment. So the, the Christmas tree farmers, first they have to to get the right uh, seedlings because they don't plant seeds. They plant seedlings or the little little trees and they have to pick the right species because not all species will grow properly in all the sites. So they have to look at the soil. They have to look at the climate. 
uh, pick the right species. Mm-hmm. And, and then, uh, you know, they put these seedlings in the ground uh, and they got about six to 12 years of work ahead. So it's not like you just sit back and watch them grow. Uh, and that work is, is intensive. I mean, they have to shear or prune because, you know, this beautiful conical shape that these Christmas trees have. Yeah. That's what conifers look like, right? They have that conical shape naturally. But um, if you ever look at the naturally growing conifer, it's actually, you know, much more sparse, the branches. So in an in a eight foot tall tree that you would put in your house for a Christmas tree, maybe you would have only about 20 branches. So what the Christmas tree growers have to do, they have to prune and shape those trees, kind of right. exaggerated conical shape that's that's not really natural. So they, they have to, you know, uh, clip the tips and, and make sure that, you know, the, the, the shape is right. So so that that's kind of very intensive and, and you know, kind of hard work. And, and on top of that, they have to remove uh, competing vegetation. So they have to weed out, you know, you've seen those plantations, right? They, you know, there's just these Christmas trees and kind of grass around it. So, mm-hmm. so that's because they actually remove the weeds. They don't want competing trees around or competing, you know, vegetation. And, and then they, they give fertilizer. So they actually, you know, uh, give food to those Christmas trees so that they grow faster Often they have to also treat against pests and diseases because that's the other reality of growing these trees in in you know in this perfect environment. They uh, they're really attractive to uh, pests and uh, pests and diseases. So so you know all in all, it's it's a very sort of intensive operation. They have to be there all year round and uh, and they have to repeat it every year because it takes depending on the size of trees and where you are, you know, six to ten to twelve years to produce a tree. So, so yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. You mentioned there's risk involved when you're planting trees like this. How so? So the, some of the risks uh, have to do with some of the weather events that we've seen uh, recently. Uh, you put a tree in the ground and you've got 10 years um, and then you don't know what the weather is going to be like. It might change. It might you might have these uh, crazy weather swings that we've seen that are associated uh, with climate change. So that that's mm-hmm. a huge risk risk that that they, they have to face. We've seen everything from drought, uh, flooding, the the heat dome. So so it's been you know this has been really really hard for uh, for Christmas tree uh, uh, growers. Drought seems to be the worst uh, because especially the type that we've had recently these you know, extreme droughts, long number of days without rain. Uh, also on top of that, the heat dome, the, mm-hmm. the heat that uh, it basically was baking the needles. So this kind of combined effect was really, uh, really hard on uh, on the seedling. We know that, you know, tr- Christmas tree grower has to put seedlings in the ground and they harvest. So they kind of try to keep a balance between what they harvest and what they put in the ground. And uh, those those small seedlings that you put in the ground they don't have these well-developed root systems, uh, and and they're particularly susceptible to to drought because the drought it dries out at the top of the soil first, right. and the bigger trees can you know can have their roots are a little bit deeper. They can go and get the water, a little bit of water there is deep in the ground, but those small seedlings they they don't have that luxury, so they kind of stuck there on the topsoil uh, and uh, with their little root systems, and they're the ones that suffered the most. And and that's you know so that's been really hard on, on some of the Christmas tree uh, growers who've lost some of them up to seventy percent of their of their new seedlings and 
And for them, well, that's their future crop. So, mm-hmm. so those are the those are the trees, not the ones that they will sell this year, but that they'll sell in ten years. So that that's a big. Uh, this is the kind of risks that they're facing in the future. I'm glad you mentioned the difference between like the seedlings and uh, already mature trees. What about the difference between the way farmed trees are planted versus? Uh, trees that grow naturally in a forest. You mentioned they're used for reforestation. Are those mm-hmm. trees at the same kind of risk mm. as the farm trees, and, and why or why not? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I, actually, most of my work uh, in my professional life is uh, conducted on, on trees uh, in natural forests uh, and their you know their health and, and how they are affected about you know uh, pests and diseases and climate change. Uh, so we, we know a lot about, about that, but, uh, you know, some of the same species are used. For example, Douglas fir is a right. tree that's used a lot in uh, Christmas tree plantation, but it's also a tree that we plant a lot in, in, in British Columbia. And uh, for reforestation, it's a very valuable tree species. So, and, and we know that Douglas fir is a tree species that's going to be it, it might in some ways benefit from climate change because mm. it's, you know, we're now kind of helping it to migrate to areas that are going to be uh, better, like with a better fit in the future climate. So we can predict what the future climate is going to be. And then we can move the trees looking at their genetic profile and we can move them to the areas where the climate is going to be right in the future. So for trees that we grow in the forest, we have time. But, you know, they're going to grow for maybe 70, 100 years, uh, which we don't have for, for Christmas trees. So that's right. one big difference. The other big difference, I should say, is that if you look at a natural forest, it's a community. It's an ecosystem. You have different tree species. There are different sizes. And you have, you know, we hear a lot about that lately, the, uh, all these mycelial networks, these symbiotic fungi that connect the roots together uh, and all this is is making natural forests more resilient. There could be some species suffer, but from drought, for example, but others will, you know, take over. Uh, and you and you get also some shading. You get some, you know, the seedlings. Some of them will will grow under the shade of uh, of, of the bigger trees. Right. So if you look at the tree, Christmas tree farm, are completely opposite of everything I just said. Basically, it's just all. This, you know, very young trees, same age, all very exposed. I'm, I'm guessing, uh, I don't think anyone has looked at that, but I'm guessing that because they space them out, that the mycorrhizal connections are probably much less. So less ability to, you know, share resources and, and get more, uh, you know, nutrients from, from the soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are very, very different uh, ways of, of growing trees from a natural balance, you know, uh, ecosystems uh, where there's biodiversity to a basically monocultures that that is uh, completely exposed. So, so I think that that's may, maybe what we're seeing. This kind of impact that we've seen with the drought, you know, killing so many seedlings and affecting so many trees in Christmas plantation. Maybe this is sort of a preview of what's going to happen later in the forest uh, if we don't, you know, if we don't do things right. I know you're not necessarily a business analyst, but just mm-hmm. given what you've seen um, with these trees and how they respond, especially in a farm situation, 
as we see more heat domes, uh, more droughts, more extreme weather, is what's going to happen to the Christmas tree industry? Like, is it sustainable? Well, I kind of think it is uh, because there's some potential for, you know, doing things differently. But, you know, one thing that's for sure is that the, you know, what I said about a lot of those seedlings being the trees of the future dying. So we should expect that this shortage of Christmas tree, it's not going to get better because it takes 10 years to grow trees. So if, right. if we running out of them now and if they're dying because of the heat, it's going to be worse in the future. I kind of take that as a given and also that the price is going to go up. So in a way, the farmers, tree, Christmas tree farmers who can survive this, well, they can charge more and, 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 and make more money maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's, there's some other uh, solutions maybe uh, sort of taking a page from the book of this, what we do in a natural forest where we try to do this, um, you know, assisted migration, try to help trees grow in, in climates that where they're going to be better adapted in the future. So, so this same, same approach could be used for Christmas trees. And I know that some people are looking into that, trying to find, uh, you know, genetically more drought and disease resistant individuals within species so that they can actually select them. But there's also um, some people and more and more are actually picking for Christmas tree farm trees uh, that are different tree species. And and this is where it's a little bit controversial because they're different tree species, but they're not native. Like, uh, you know, all the Christmas trees that we know usually, you know, the Douglas fir, the balsam fir, the, the pines, you know, like they're, they're our native trees that, mm-hmm. we, that grew in the forest and we also farm them. But uh, more and more, you see Christmas tree farmers who get trees from other parts of the world where it, there's more drought, uh, and then thinking that these trees are going to be better adapted to the, you know, the future Canada, where it's going to be drier. And some of those trees, they, they're fir. So if if you see them, you, you're going to think like, "Well, oh, this is a nice fir, a nice Christmas tree with nice." Uh, you know, nice shiny needles and good smell, but they come from a, a region, uh, the Caucasus, uh, like the, the Black Sea, uh, you know, countries like Turkey, for example, and Georgia. Uh, huh. And these are places where, you know, the latitude is 40 degree, about the, the same latitude as Northern California. And there's some fur there that, that grow uh, and they, they have, they're really uh, resistant to drought and to diseases. Uh, they have this thick uh, waxy layer on the needles that allows them to lose less water. And so they, these have become popular uh, and you can already uh, buy them in, in the U.S. to grow them. In Europe, they grow them a lot. So this may be, uh, you know, part of the future of Christmas tree farms is to to adapt, to grow either, you know, pick Douglas fir that will be more drought resistant and more disease resistant or, you know, plant other species that in a way like these other species, like natural selection has done its work mm-hmm. over the, mil- the, 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 the millions of years. You know, these trees have been selected for these drier and hotter environments. So, so the, the nature has done its, its job. So it's kind of a easy for us to, to take those trees instead of trying to do the selections ourselves. Although that's also a good option. And this is something that's been done in, in Douglas fir, for example. Let me ask you a question. As a conservationist, 
Should we be farming Christmas trees at all, especially now that you're talking about bringing in non-native species, which I know is is something some environmentalists argue fiercely against now that we're using uh, valuable resources? Should we not just be uh, reforesting everything and not worrying about farms? <laughs> well, the reforesting we, we're already doing. Um, I mean, we, we should not forget that we planting in Canada, we plant 500 million seedlings every year, most of them conifers, in our reforestation program. So we plant a lot of trees right. compared to the number of Christmas trees that we put in the ground. Uh, and, you know, the government of Canada made a commitment to tra- to plant 2 billion trees on top of those 500 million trees. So, you know, they're planted to become forests and to fix carbon. So, you know, I don't think it's necessarily in conflict. Okay. Because also we should remember that the, the Christmas tree farm often... Um, they are, especially Quebec and Ontario, uh, maybe less so in BC, but Quebec and Ontario, a lot, of, and Nova Scotia, a lot of those Christmas tree farms are on farms where the, some of the land was abandoned, maybe there was marginal land, hmm. uh, and, you know, growing trees on there actually plays plays a good role uh, in terms of uh, fixing carbon and generating oxygen. That's what, right. that's what trees do. So, uh, so you know, it's it's not... These are not in conflict. I think we can we can do both. This has been a fascinating look at a subject that uh, I've always wanted to know more about. So thank you for that. I have one more question for you, though, which is uh, if you have a tree, what tree do you have? Do you use plastic? Do you use a farm tree? Do you go out and cut your own down? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm an unconditional uh, team. Uh, natural trees. I've never had a, Chris, uh, a plastic Christmas tree. And that's because, you know, I, uh, it's, it's, it's a product that's entirely made by nature, biodegradable. So it's almost too good to be true if you think of a decoration product, right? Hmm. Uh, and, and also I was uh, raised uh, in, uh, uh, in Quebec and, and uh, my dad had a woodlot. And uh, my favorite childhood memories was, uh, you know, going out on the woodlot at Christmas with our axe and our saw and picking our, our Christmas tree, cutting it down ourselves. Uh, they were usually ugly, and uh, they didn't have too many branches. But <laughs> but, but just uh, it was just such a such a fun thing to do, and I've I've continued doing that with my son. So uh, so definitely uh, for me, it's uh, it's 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 not just uh, the fact that it's a biological product, but it's also especially if you do it yourself, if you cut your own tree, it's kind of a nice nice thing to do. Uh, you kind of feel closer to nature and then you bring nature into your house. Mm-hmm. These great smells and, um, you know, this, it, 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 yeah, it feels, it feels like the right thing to do. I have very fond memories of my grandfather doing the exact same thing on a farm in Quebec. So it's a, <laughs> it's a beautiful right. way to end it, except now I live in Toronto. So I just paid a hundred bucks for a tree. <laughs> well, a hundred is not bad because it's going to get more expensive. Oh man. <laughs> do you know what kind of tree you got? Yeah, it's a Douglas fir. Douglas fir. Well, there it's you quite go. nice, and it has clearly been cut to have that nice cone shape. Very nice, Richard. Thank you so much for this. Appreciate the time. You're welcome. That was nice talking, Richard Hamner of the University of British Columbia. That was the big story. Yes, there's probably news going on in the world this week before the holidays, but as I said last week, we wanted to bring you guys some nice things as we get ready to say goodbye to this long year. 
Hopefully you've enjoyed the first in our series of episodes chosen by members of the Frequency Podcast Network team. We will have the rest of the Staff Pick series, as well as a couple more surprises for you over the next couple weeks. And of course, we are taking your feedback for what you want covered when we get back to brand new episodes in January. You can find The Big Story at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can talk to us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. You can email us, hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And you can call us and leave a voicemail, 416-935-5935. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Have a happy holiday, whichever one you're celebrating. And we'll talk in a couple of days.